Hey, Clipped listeners, this podcast is brought to you by Riverside, your online platform for recording high-quality video and audio podcasts from anywhere in the world. There's two new features of Riverside that I want to talk about that I think will benefit all you Cliptos out there. One is the automatic transcriptions. You can revolutionize your editing process and edit by text. With transcription-based editing, it makes it easier than ever to perfect your podcast. Additionally, Magic Clips just came out. This is an AI process that lets Riverside identify and create compelling short-form clips from your content. Turn these short-form clips into captivating posts for social media. There's also an auto-caption feature that ensures these clips are captioned and your videos are accessible to all. If you want to give Riverside a try, head on over to riverside.fm and enter promo code CLIPPED, that's C-L-I-P-P-E-D, for 20% off any individual plan. That's riverside.fm and enter CLIPPED for 20% off. What's up, potty people, and welcome back to Clipped. I'm Eric, your host, and Clipped is a podcast that delivers top-notch podcast production tips, industry resources, education, and insights, all to make your podcasting life easier. My goal is to help you start, grow, and monetize your show. I've got something special for you this week. I'm talking with Stephen Robles. Stephen is a video producer at Riverside.fm. He's the host of multiple podcasts, and he's also an Apple devices expert. He's got an awesome YouTube about how to get the most out of your Apple device, different tricks and tips that you can do with your MacBook and your iPhone and all kinds of stuff, all about the Apple ecosystem, which I'm going to link to in the show notes. But in my conversation, we're talking about his philosophy when it comes to editing audio versus editing video how he juggles all that production and some of the processes that he has in place to produce his podcast. And I think you can gain some value from that. Uh, We also talk a little bit about AI, podcast discovery through social media, how to market and grow your podcast, and a bunch of other stuff, all things podcasting related. So I'm stoked for you to check this out. Steven is a wealth of knowledge Uh, And he's a podcast pro. He's been in the game since 2012, so he knows what he's talking about. Looking forward to you checking out this interview with Steven. So let's give it a go. Steven, thank you for joining the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Excited to get to know you. Excited for our audience to learn more about you and all the amazing stuff that you're doing. But just to kind of set the tone, tell us where you're originally from. I'm originally from New York. That's where I was born and grew up. I was a, a music and music theater kid. I was in band and jazz band. I played trumpet, and that's actually what I studied in college. Uh, but I grew up there and then came down to Florida for uh, university, all studying music, and uh, met my wife down here, and so I've been down here ever since. So New York transplants, you could say. Upstate or elsewhere in New York? It was it was, it was upstate. I was born in Brooklyn, so I spent about five years in the city, and we visited often because uh, I moved upstate to Fishkill, which not many people have heard of, but it's near Poughkeepsie, Hudson Valley area. And so we were a 90-minute train ride to Grand Central, and so we we enjoyed going to the city for the day and you know seeing the music scene, going to the Blue Note Jazz Club and stuff. So it was a, it was a fun fun upbringing for sure. Okay, so horn player. Uh, so this might age <laughs> myself, but were you ever involved in like ska or playing ska or listening to ska? No, no. I was, okay. I was, you know, studying it. I studied classical trumpet, you know, so I was doing like concertos. Uh, I was in a couple jazz bands and some big bands down here in Florida. But in New York, it was mainly like youth orchestras. So like I was playing Sibelius and Mozart and all that. So that's what I was doing. 
I'm a musician as well. I play guitar. Awesome. Not in bands anymore, but spent a lot of my 20s uh, playing. The reason I bring that up is because I find that a lot of people, a lot of musicians maybe, tend to, what, whether or not they still play, but they kind of tend to segue into like production. Um, yeah. One, I think, because there's more work in it, it seems like at least. And two, music is just, it's just, a t that's a tough grind. Um, so was there some overlap there where you were, you know, a musician and you're like, hey, I kind of can pivot over to this like audio production side or was there kind of a transition there that made sense? You know, I was just a nerd uh, growing up and then into college. And so at college, I played around with Final Cut Express. I got mm -hmm. a pirated version of Adobe Photoshop from a friend. And I was doing those kinds of things because I really loved that and getting into web development. And in my first few jobs, they were music primarily, but I ended up doing a lot of side tasks in graphic design, video editing and capture photography. And then over time, just spending more time, those were more... Uh, I guess you could say sellable skills, you know, it was just more profitable, sure. you know, if you could do video and photography and marketing. And so I just did more and more of that uh, over the years, but it was all self-taught. I never, you know, went to school for that kind of stuff. And then now I'm just doing that for, for all my work now. It's just videos and, and podcasts and websites and stuff. That explains a lot. And then the listeners don't know, tell them a little bit about how you got into tech and started actually making these tech review videos and, You've got to know so much about the Apple ecosystem that it kind of blows my mind how to optimize like every device and little tricks and tips. Like, where did that come from? Because that's that's impressive. Well, again, I, you know, I was a nerd at heart, but I was not in the Apple world until college. And my freshman year of college, I saw a classmate. They had a 12-inch G4 PowerBook. And it just, it blew my mind, this <laughs> tiny device. And he could do all this stuff in GarageBand and it just, it was amazing to me. And so I knew I had to get it. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do with it, but I had to get it. And so that summer after my freshman year, I saved all my summer money and I bought that 12-inch G4 PowerBook. And it just set me on a course to just totally falling down the Apple rabbit hole, you know, and, and learning about it. Uh, but it was just that being my first computer, teaching myself video editing and Final Cut Express. And, you know, that's one of the things I think that why I have an affinity towards Apple is because they made it so accessible. Like when you bought a Mac, like you just get GarageBand for free. Like you just got iMovie with it. And there were just these powerful applications. And so I loved all of that. And I wanted to talk about tech. And so I started my own podcasts in like 2011, 2012, pretty early like writing my own RSS feeds and text edit, you know, and just kind of like hand rolling these XMLs and uh, uploading it to a server. And it was just myself uh, by myself, you know, I wasn't working for anybody. And then in 2015, uh, Apple Insider was looking for writers, which I had done a little bit of technical writing about like cloud services and stuff. And so I applied as a writer and uh, they, they hired me. And as I was working with them, I said, listen, I love to podcast and I know it's not, it might not be profitable or marketable because this was before podcasts were big. This was like before Serial and all that really kind of blew up. And uh, they said, all right, well, let's try it. And uh, they let me launch the Apple Insider podcast in 2015. And I still host and produce that one today. And it's in the top 25 tech shows pretty routinely. And I just love doing it. I love talking about it. And I just fell into that world, you know, head over heels, I guess you could say. Dude, that's awesome that they they eventually hired you to do that. That's so cool. So since 2015, and that was that was like the first legit show I'm imagining. The one in 2011, 2012, is that kind of pod faded, as they say? 
Oh, not even pod faded. It's like pod exploded and just buried. Uh, it was, I called it and, you know, my wife came up with this name and it sounds funny, but I give her credit. I think it would have been catchy. I might re, uh, I, I lost the domain because I stopped paying for it. But I wish I hadn't, but it was called the Tech Tailor, finding technology that fits you. You know, tailor like a suit tailor. Okay. <laughs> and I just, I, th- I thought uh, it was so cool. And it was just me. It was just me literally in the attic. Cause it was the only quiet place because I had young kids and I would just talk for like 20 minutes about the latest tech news. And I had some people that listened, you know, not a ton, but uh, I just did it for fun. I just did it because I enjoyed it. Very cool, man. And so Apple Insider sounds like a rad gig, rad podcast. So how did you eventually come up with the ideas for the other podcasts that you host? And let's tell our listeners the names of those and just a little bit about what they are. And of course, we'll link to them in the show notes. But for those of you that don't know, Stephen is a multi-dimensional podcaster. He's got several shows. And so let's hear a little bit about those. For sure. So yeah, Apple Insider is the big one. It's a weekly show. Talk all about Apple and tech news. And then in 2018, I have a I had a good friend. We both loved movies. And we were like, well, let's just start it and see what happens. You know, if we, if we don't uh, so we started it. Uh, we're just we were just talking about movie reviews. It was you know rough at, at first. We didn't really have a format or anything, but over time we had some people that started listening and and uh, loyal fan base. And I remember at the fifty episode mark, which is even so much more than most podcasts. You know, if you look at the stats today, most podcasts don't make it past ten episodes. And so if you have more than ten episodes, you're in like the top five percent of podcasts that are available in, in Apple Podcasts. And then if you go even longer than that, more than 50, and you're releasing weekly or some with some regularity, you're in the top 1%. And so we said after 50 episodes, we're like, listen, we're going to open a Patreon page. Let's see if we have anyone that'll actually pay money for bonus content. And let's see if this is actually viable. And so we did that and we had people sign up and it's not a ton of people, but it's enough to say like, we just enjoy doing it. That's a podcast outside of the tech world. So I just enjoy it. And people actually pay money to hear bonus content every week. And so it's just fun. And so that's movies on the side. And uh, we still do that one. That's been going on five plus years. And then in the Apple Insider camp, I'm a smart home nerd as well, because that's just kind of co-measured with the whole Apple and tech nerd. And uh, there's another guy on the Apple Insider team, Andrew O'Hara, and he is just as much of a smart home nerd. And we thought, well, you know, there's some smart home podcasts out there. But we think we can really do one that will benefit the community, bring a lot of value to it. And we're like living the life. You know, I have like over 100 smart home devices in my house, everything from the garage door to water leak sensors. And so let's see if we can provide some value from this. And so we started that and it's now on episode 160 or 70, I believe. So we've been doing it for almost three years now. And uh, we have a a growing audience. Uh, That's one that... You know, the the Apple Insider podcast kind of had an initial audience just because of the name. And a HomeKit Insider, yes, also because Apple Insider kind of promoted it, but it was more kind of a, we have to build this thing because it doesn't exist. You know, HomeKit Insider, you know, it's a new, new-ish name. This is specifically smart home stuff, but it's actually been pretty successful. It's not to the size of the main Apple Insider one, but it's it's growing and a very loyal fan base. And that's one of the things was when you podcast, you might not get hundreds of thousands of listeners, but if you have a, a loyal fan base that responds when you have a sponsor and that re, you know really engage with you on social media, 
that is actually measures of success in addition to downloads. And so if you don't obsess about downloads, you can actually see all this other value that you provide to your audience, and it's a big deal. And so that's growing. We still do it. That comes out every Monday. And that one's a video podcast uh, as well. We could show devices on camera and stuff. So that's HomeKit Insider. And those are the three main big ones. I do have one <laughs> where I broke all the rules of podcasting, where I released one episode and didn't do any more, but I will eventually. <laughs> I wanted to have a show for myself where I interviewed people that uh, I just wanted to talk to. And so I have one more show. It's just called How to Learn. And basically the premise is not just, I don't want to tell people about a topic. I want to show people how you actually teach a topic. And so to actually get teachers in areas uh, who are excellent at communicating the elements of a subject and can help others teach it then to even more people. And so I have one episode of that, but it's with Ed Catmull, which is the co-founder of Pixar. And I was like, if I have one episode and it's the co-founder of Pixar, I'm, I'm happy with it. Legit. And so that's, that's a fourth show that uh, I hope to maybe do more episodes in the near future. Well, damn, man, that that is a ton and good for you. Thank you, man. That work ethic and just that creativity, man. It obviously shows because you're really well-spoken. You know, a lot of people on the mic that don't have your kind of experience are a little bit all over the place. So how do you prevent burnout? I mean, you must have some systems in place or I'm imagining some of those Apple shows have producers that help or no? Is it None. just, is it very DIY? I do pretty much 100%. You know, I plan it. Um <laughs> I plan the show. We have a shared note with me and the co-hosts, um, and I. But I put those in there, like the topics. I, I plan it, I host it, record it. I do all the editing, one hundred percent of the editing, and then I do all the producing. Also, you know, I put it on the RSS, the all of that, and so it is a lot of work. But I, honestly, recently, some of the AI tools that I've been taking advantage of, like ChatGPT, but also just having good systems in place. And I edit all my podcasts on my iPad, which is unconventional, uh, but I'm actually able to edit very fast on the iPad with my Apple Pencil. And uh, I've trained myself where I can now edit at 2x speed. And uh, there's an app called Ferrite on iPad. I sing its praises all the time. And I can edit at 2x. So I can edit a, an hour show in actually just about an hour and a half. And, I, and I'm granularly editing it. You know, I'm cutting out filler words manually. I'm moving things around, you know, cutting some overlap, over talk. And I can do it pretty quickly, like an hour and a half, maybe two hours at the most. And uh, that's the whole editing process. And so, and I, you know, I have a schedule where I record uh, like the Apple Insider and HomeKit Insider shows. I actually record those almost back to back. And so I have like a two hour block and it's very uh, planned. And so two hours of recording, done. Same day, I edit those two shows and get them ready and do all the publishing as well. And so those two shows are like an afternoon. And that's it. And that is, again, very fast because there's some, you know, I do plan ahead. You know, usually the night before, Wednesday night, I'll get the articles together. But that's like 30 minutes an hour. Me and my co-hosts are good at talking extemporaneously. Uh, because we're all very knowledgeable about, about these topics and we just love talking about it. And so it's it's very easy to get an hour show and it's fun and uh, great rapport. You know, we've been doing it for multiple years. And then using things like ChatGPT now and some of the AI tools have helped just expedite the entire process even more. And so, you know, I'm not working to the late hours of the morning. You know, it's it's pretty manageable. Dude, that's awesome to hear the iPad editing. So can you do like a full mix and master and like EQ and level oh, things? Yeah. And, and Oh, so, okay. So it's Absolutely. like almost Absolutely. a full DAW. Yeah, and, and you know, the thing is a lot of people uh, edit in Logic Pro 10 
uh, maybe even GarageBand, Audacity, and those are fine, but those aren't really made to edit podcasts. You know, those are music production tools more, more so. And Ferrite, uh, it's made by a single developer. His name is Canis. He's over in the UK. I actually interviewed we'll him. Say on it app one more time. time. Sorry the, to interrupt. The, say the name no, of it one good. more time. The app is called Ferrite. F E R R I T E. It is made by uh, the developer company name is called Wooji Juice. <laughs> w O O J I. <laughs> uh, but the developer's name is a gentleman named Canis. And he's in the UK. He's just a one man shop. You know, this is not a team making the app, it's just one guy. And he has just made an incredible application, and it's really geared toward podcasts. Like, that's the purpose of this app. And so I can add things like podcast chapters, chapter markers, and custom chapter art mm. all in that app, which is not something you can do in something like Logic Pro 10 or GarageBand. I can add a compressor, EQ, noise gate. All of those tools are built into the application as well. And it even takes advantage of things like uh, Apple's voice isolation, which is one of the best noise removal tools. I actually was at Podcast Movement Conference a couple weeks ago and recorded an episode of the Apple Insider Show on the expo floor. Like we were in the B&H booth and there's literally hundreds of people around talking, stuff going on. And I edited that in Ferrite and all I applied was the Apple voice isolation filter in Ferrite. And it was, it sounded great, honestly. Like you do hear some background noise periodically. But for the amount of noise that was actually there when we were recording, it was it's pretty amazing. So I oh Ferrite, you gotta check it out. It's good. Ferrite, okay, yeah, we'll link to that, man. That sounds like a cool tool. Hopefully, you know, maybe our listeners, if they're iPad based, can take advantage of that. Yeah. But man, so all these shows, everything you got going on, let's just take it at a very basic level. Do you have any advice for someone who may just be starting out? And everything you said sounds great, but maybe they're like, wow, like that sounds like a lot. What's a good way to kind of wrap your head around thinking about how to produce your show in a way that makes it easy so you can continue to pump out episodes? Yeah, so I think a couple of things. Number one, it's important to choose a topic and a niche that you are passionate about. If you are not passionate about the topic, if this is not something that you already talk about all the time with whoever uh, at a party or with your friends or you know, this is a topic you're reading about. Like, I don't have to think about what to talk about when it comes to technology and Apple devices, just because I'm already mm -hmm. reading about it. That's what I follow on social media. And so it really does have to be a topic that you are, are passionate and interested in, uh, because then talking about it will just come more naturally. And so I would, I would advise, you know, don't try to follow a topic that looks popular in the current cultural moment, because if you are not uh, naturally passionate about it. Like you're just not, it's not going to last. It's, it's going to be too difficult. It's going to be too much work. Uh, so find something you're passionate and interested in. A uh, number two, consider the format of the show, because if you were to do, let's say a fiction podcast, you know, you really want to do something uh, fiction based. That's a ton of work. You know, you're going to be writing yeah. script. You're probably going to want to get voice actors. You're going to want music beds, probably sound effects. Like that's something I could not like personally could not sustain right now. That takes a lot of time. If you want to do an interview show, that's fine, but be aware that that is also unpredictable because whether or not you can actually book guests and get people to say yes to come on the show, like that is a greater challenge. And so if you do a format where it's you and a co-host that you can regularly depend upon to be on the show and it's you guys, you both want to do this thing. And, you know, typically there's one doing more of the work. And, you know, if it's you that's want to start the podcast, that's probably be you doing that. But if it's someone that you can rely on and you have a regular co-host, I think that's an ideal format to foster that kind of 
regular content creation. You don't have to think about who's going to be on the show. You're not trying to send out cold emails for interview guests. You know, find a co-host. And then even in that, you can add interviews. Like on the Apple Insider podcast, I have two regular co-hosts from the Apple Insider staff that are on every week. But I've also done interview shows. And I'll reach out. And if I get somebody, it's a big name that applies to the audience. It's an extra episode. And our listeners love that. If it's applicable and they're an interesting guest, like it's a win-win all around and you can still do that. But I'm also not dependent on having interview guests as a regular part of the show. So just consider like, what is the format going to be? What's sustainable? And again, let it be a topic that you're interested and passionate about so you can do it long term. And again, preparation, you know, a fiction podcast is tough. Uh, A news show like the Apple Insider Show it's much easier uh, to do that on a weekly basis because one, the topics are already existing. You know what I mean? Like I'm pulling from news headlines. There's always news about Apple. And so there's, and I can add my own ideas. Like maybe I want to do a top 10 task apps, or maybe I got a new device, uh, Apple world adjacent. And I want to talk about that. You can always mix it up. Uh, But when you choose a topic, try to think about, is there ongoing source material that I'm going to be able to pull from all the time? You know, and you could do something like a a drama episode. Let's say you are a solo creator and you want to do a show. Maybe it's like This American Life or some kind of investigative journalism feel. Uh, That can actually be sustainable because it's just you. Like you're the only person you have to worry about immediately. Uh, But again, do you have time to research? Do you know where to research? Are you doing a topic that uh, you can keep going back for information? I I tell people too, you know, you want to niche down. And so let's say you're a sports fan, you know, you you want to do a podcast about sports. Number one, don't do a podcast about all sports or a podcast about the NBA. It's too broad. It's too general. There's already a thousand shows out there that talk about it. I say, think about a niche, niche down, like get very specific. And I always use this example. Instead, if you're just love basketball And you want to talk about the NBA, but that's just not sustainable. Think about covering a high school basketball team in a small town. And you actually get in there and you get to know some of the players. Maybe you interview some of the parents. You know there's going to be drama and storyline in that high school basketball team. And while it seems like you would be limited to maybe that small town audience, I think you'll actually find a larger audience if you tell good stories. Because good stories has no limit uh, to the audience. And so think about how can I do this topic that I love in a niche or unique way that can really be different, different and unique, but also will have wide range appeal as I go, as you grow. So those are just some ideas for you. No, that that's perfect. Speaking of the small town, I had a a buddy on the show named Kevin Schmidlin and he used to have a show called Phil. He was from Philadelphia called Philly who, and he would interview entrepreneurs and people like making moves in the city of Philadelphia. Awesome. And yeah, on one hand, that, that might be considered like a smaller niche, but because it was so targeted to people in the city, he had a really easy time like selling advertising for the show because everybody, all, all the people buying ad space knew exactly who he was going to be targeting, all Philadelphia type stuff. On the topic of podcasting, this is a two-parter. First, let's keep it simple audio and video. Do podcasts now need to do both? And then I want to talk about your editing philosophy. You said you edit pretty tightly, which I'm the same way. But yeah, let's hear about audio versus video or both. And then how you would go about maybe editing the two if you just repurpose the audio from the video or if you kind of mix it up there. Yeah, this was a huge topic at Podcast Movement recently too, and and has been the big topic for the past year or so. 
because I'm a, I've been a podcaster for for a long time, audio is still my love, my preference. You know, I'd love the audio medium, and I do think that is what sets podcasts apart. You know, people listen to an audio podcast, they become drawn to the host, drawn to the guest, they feel like they know them. That's kind of the magic of podcasts. But I will say in today's landscape, you know, there's there's not an easy way to be discovered. You know, previously, the iTunes store was actually the only place really that podcasts lived and you were in a very small pond of shows. And so the chance of being discovered just as an audio podcast were much higher. And people were actually actively looking for shows because there weren't very many. And so just that word of mouth, sharing it on blogs or whatever. Uh, but today you have such big names like Spotify, Wondery. Uh, you have just massive uh, production houses making shows. And you have celebrities doing podcasts. Like you look at the Smartless podcast, which is like the number one show on Apple Podcasts. You know, have Will Arnett, Jason Bateman, and Sean Hayes. Like you're not going to compete uh, with discoverability on that. So all that to say... I think video is important, even if only used in a promotional sense. Now, just turn on the camera, you know, and this is what I actually said. I had a talk at Podcast Movement, and the title was, You Can Do a Video Podcast in 20 Mouse Clicks. And I basically showed people, it literally from a blank desktop to publishing a video podcast on YouTube, you can do it in 20 mouse clicks. And I did that because I want people to not feel intimidated by it. Like, it doesn't have to be a big deal. Like, we're using Riverside right now. We're doing a video podcast. And it's not difficult. Like, you can just turn on the camera in just, you know, make sure there's nothing crazy in your background. You know, if you can get some kind of inexpensive lighting or at least sit facing a window rather than have behind you so you look like a silhouette, just take a few simple measures, turn on the camera. And even if you don't want to post that full-length video to YouTube, now you can make vertical clips of the best moments of that podcast. And you share it on TikTok, you share it on Instagram Reels, you share it as YouTube Shorts. And that is the discovery engine today for podcasts. And so if you're doing an audio show and you're trying to be discovered, that's actually how you need to do it. I would say even more than trying to pay for advertising and all of that, share those clips like three to five times a week and let people become hopefully addicted to that content because they just love seeing those clips. And that will eventually, hopefully get them to actually go to their podcast player and subscribe. There's like multiple shows where I have never listened to their audio version, but I see their clips on TikTok all the time. And uh, I think they're hilarious. And like probably eventually I will go to my podcast player and, and follow them and listen to it. Uh, but it is just the best way for discovery. And so video, yes, for discovery, you need to do it even if you don't post the full length. But I would also encourage you, just post the full-length video on YouTube. It's not hard. It's free to do. Uh, Riverside makes it super easy. And so just do it, I guess, the Nike slogan, as I would say. <laughs> yeah. What, what's your take on like that journey from people seeing the clips to then hop off that app, go into another app, find the podcast, hit subscribe? Because I've always found that, I agree, you have to have clips if anything, at least to stay relevant and to, to build your brand. But as far as growing the show, don't you think that's a big leap for someone to see it on TikTok, close TikTok, then go to Apple Podcasts, type, you know, I don't know, some of them, I know you can link to, you could put like your Apple or Spotify link, but it's funny because I'm the same way. I see, I, I love the, the all the, the current state of comedy and I watch a lot of the, the comedy clips on a shorts or reels or whatever and some of them I do follow and I do listen to, like Bert and Theo and, and such. But uh, those are all the clips I see. <laughs> everybody, my friends all day are like DMing me, just yeah. constant. But like, but then I'll ask them all that to say. Then I'll ask them. So did you listen to that new uh, episode that Bert did or Theo did? And they're like, well, no. 
I just watched the clip. So what do you think is the strategy there to convert those people to podcast listeners? Or do we not need to do that? Or kind of just what's your philosophy around that? I would say pretty soon we will get to a place where it will be easier to connect the two. Because honestly, having someone follow your podcast outside of video or whatever, like it's a challenge no matter what. You know, because there's just no simple way. You don't know what app they're listening in. Maybe it's Apple Podcasts. Maybe it's Spotify. Maybe it's YouTube Music. Like, you just have no idea. So there's no simple, like, one-click subscribe for podcasts. And that's historically just been a challenge. I do think that will get easier with things like TikTok letting you link a clip that you have posted, a reel or a vertical video to a specific podcast episode in your RSS feed. I think those tools are coming. I think Spotify uh, will probably allow you to share these kinds of vertical clips, link them to your episode. Maybe Apple Podcasts will launch something soon. So right now, I would say don't worry about conversion and don't also, like in those vertical videos, don't end every video with like, hey, go subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Like it turns people <laughs> off, honestly. Like I realized um, I, I did, I pushed on TikTok for a while just to see like how it will go. And I have like 20K followers and like, but it's also like that amount of followers means nothing. Like I can't get anyone from TikTok anywhere else. They're just there. To convert, and I, yeah. Yeah, to convert. And I used to at the end of all my TikTok videos say like, all right, go watch more on my YouTube channel. And I would start getting comments of like, bro, no one's going to YouTube. And I was like, okay, I think like I need to take that into consideration because if that actually gives someone an adverse reaction to your content because you keep pointing them elsewhere, like I'm not going to do that. I'm actually just going to post videos on this platform if it provides value to this platform and not worry about where they go after that. I just want them to start recognizing the content, recognizing either my face or me and my co-host, maybe start recognizing the name of the show. Like the only reason I know the name Two Bears, One Cave is because it's in the background of all their clips. It's the only reason I know the name of that show. And so that's what you can think about. Like, don't do a plug at the end of the video. Maybe you do a logo on the videos, as simple as that might be. Or maybe you're wearing merch from your show. So people start associating your clips with your show name. Don't worry about converting them right away. Just be out there for brand recognition. And eventually, I think some of those people will move over. And there have been cases. There's been a couple of true crime podcasts that had a like viral TikTok And it did convert to like tens of thousands of actual subscribers to their audio podcast. So it's not that it doesn't happen, but either way, there is value just getting brand recognition out there. And this vertical video right now today is the way to do it. I agree. And I love how you said, yeah, you don't always have to put the call to action, kind of let the clip stand on its own. And if you have some kind of branding in the background, it takes a while, but over time, they'll start to put the two together. Well, dude, I want to ask you some stuff about Riverside, but real quick, I want to jump back. So your philosophy on video and audio editing, say you edit the video for the video podcast, do you just repurpose the audio or do you go through the audio separately or do you try to make them both a little different? With audio, you can obviously hide some stuff easier, Uh, but kind of what do you do and what do you recommend someone who... Uh, it's currently has an audio podcast and they're looking to level up to, to video. Yeah. So number one, like focus on where your audience is if you're trying to figure out like where, what to do. Mm. And so for like HomeKit Insider, as a prime example, we do a video version. There's an entire YouTube channel dedicated for it, but we have more audio listeners than people who watch on YouTube. And so the philosophy there is, well, I want more people to have a better experience And the audio is actually what sponsors are paying for anyway. And Mm -hmm. so I edit the audio 
that's what I bring into Ferrite on my iPad and make sure it's clean. And the video, honestly, like I'll edit out any major gaps or spaces or errors, but that video just goes out pretty much as is. And like I do it in Riverside and I push it out and it never touches like Final Cut. So I still edit the audio specifically. So I'll download those WAV files. I edit it in Ferrite, make that clean. And the video, I largely just post kind of as is, barring any large uh, errors. Movies on the side is the same way. Uh, because again, we have just way more audio listeners. And again, I really think video right now, the main driver is discovery as vertical video clips. And so if you're going to, if you're thinking about your pie graph of time that you have to dedicate to your podcast, I would say edit the audio version. I think that's what's actually going to have more long lasting evergreen potential. You know, your early episodes might be listened to in an audio player. People are most likely not going to watch an early video of your podcast. So I would say focus on the audio and if you're going to dedicate any more time to anything dedicated to making those clips and sharing those on social media, that vertical video, and that's how I think you should budget your time. Well, Stephen, you work at Riverside, which I want to talk about. I've been using Riverside, man, since maybe like 2018, I think, at least wow, not that's... for this podcast, but produced client shows. That's um, early. That's early. Early. Yeah, early. And actually, this podcast is actually sponsored by Riverside. Shout out to Lisa. That's, awesome. That's a disclaimer if you're listening. Stephen also works there. Yes. Um, so tell us a little bit about your role there, uh, your title, and and what you're responsible for. I'm a video producer. I just I make videos. Uh, you know, I've been with them a little over a year now, and I was brought on to create content for the YouTube channel. And that's what I do. And so you'll see, you know, multiple videos a week from me going up there. Some of them are tutorial style about the Riverside platform specifically. But honestly, more of them are about podcasting, about gear and equipment. You know, I'm a gear head, like I'm just, again, a nerd at heart. And so I have a bunch of microphones, I have a bunch of audio interfaces. And so I try to advise people and teach them like how to use their mirrorless camera as a webcam or how to make the most of a $40 microphone. And so those are the kind of uh, videos we're making and just providing value and, uh, you know, trying to help podcasters and other video creators. And then if they do remote recording, like Riverside is the best way to do it. And so hopefully uh, they, they follow the trail down and actually sign up for Riverside as well. And over the past year, I've gotten to go to the three podcast conferences and sp uh, spoke at each of those. So that was a lot of fun. And uh, do some, you know, advising to uh, like business uh, customers on the back end, if some of them use Riverside in really advanced ways uh, with some serious equipment, like NBC Universal uh, uses Riverside. And so, really, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and they have very specific needs and they're using very particular pieces of equipment. And so I try my best to, uh, to help them out and troubleshoot things. And so I love being able to do that too and just kind of hearing how people use Riverside. Dude, I love the educational videos also. Want to mention that because a big part of what I do is try to educate people. I'm also a gearhead, mostly an audio gearhead because I used to be an audio engineer in, in recording studios for uh, like hip hop artists and bands. And so I love that. And I love, yeah, just your your passion for educating people about podcasting, about the industry, uh, what's going on, best practices. So speaking of that, let's talk about gear because I think people can get overwhelmed and like you said, Riverside makes it super easy to record remotely. But what do you think people get wrong about gear? A lot of people let it hold them back. What's your philosophy to start? What do you need? What do you like? Yeah, I would say 
you just get a USB microphone. My favorite is the uh, Audio-Technica ATR2100X. Sure. I talk about it all the time on the Riverside channel. It's a USB-C microphone. I think it's about $70. And uh, I use that microphone for multiple years. And sometimes I still use it when I travel. And so $70 USB microphone will go a long way. And so that is one of the things I feel like a lot of people f- think they can't start podcasting because they don't have the right gear or the right equipment or whatever. Like, it's just not the case. You can use a $70 microphone and host like an incredibly popular podcast. And honestly, a lot of big podcasts now I see, I see with the Shure MV7, which I think you're using right now. Uh, this is, I actually got sent this, <laughs> but I got to say for my voice personally, I think my voice, I have an ATR 2100X. I think I sound better on that microphone than this. That's not knocking sure they make great equipment, but it, it's just interesting. $70 mic, I think I sound great on it. It's just interesting how... You got to weigh quality versus price, but I think too sometimes you, depending on the mic, you you might sound different, and you might like the cheaper one, and so you don't have to go out and get crazy. These are super popular and they're great, but uh, yeah, that Audio Technica mic, there's something about it. So good, <laughs> it's so good. My so uh, for the movies on the side podcast, my co-host Nate, that's the mic he uses. And he uses his iPhone in continuity camera with his iMac for the video side of the podcast. And so he didn't buy any, well, he did buy two lights for like $50. So he spent $50 on lights. He's been using the same mic for five years and we're able to do a video podcast. His video looks good. His audio sounds amazing. A lot of times, like I'm using all this expensive equipment and I hear his audio with that audio technica. I'm like, dang it. Why is it so good? And um, so you don't, you don't have to spend a lot of money. And so I think that's where a lot of people get hung up. If you want to spend money, yeah, absolutely do it. I mean, I love I love this setup. This is the Earthworks Ethos microphone. Absolutely love it. You know, Rode MicroArm is also my favorite. Uh, but I will say, I actually had a video recently on the channel. Let me see if I can uh, pull this guy over. I had a video. Uh, you'll, you'll see it. You'll see it in the full thing. This is the SM7B. Oh, I saw it. And you see I it saw- in every video podcast. And, yeah. you know, I think that's what people see. I'm like, oh, no, every video podcast uses this SM7B specific microphone I need to get that before I can like actually try to do this video thing and be legit. And I'm just telling you, it's not the case. Uh, you don't need expensive equipment. You don't need to wait to get whatever. Like you can make something great with a $70 mic and you know a $20 or $30 light or just sit in front of a window and uh, you can start making something great. So don't let that hold you back. Mr. Beast actually talks about this, which was another video on the Riverside channel. And uh, he talks about analysis paralysis, meaning you just overanalyze everything. And so you never start. You never start creating anything. And I think that's what's sad because I do think a lot of people have great ideas, would be great on the mic, would have amazing podcasts. I don't think it's too late to start. I feel like now is actually a great time because there's lots of energy around podcasting from names both big and small. And so don't don't sit there paralyzed because you're you're thinking about equipment or gear. Just get a $70 mic, sit in front of a window, use your phone as your camera, and just start. Just start recording, and, uh, and I think you can make something great. You start, and then three months into it, six months into it, if you're still excited, the show's got a little bit of momentum, and then you want to upgrade. Right. And you got to know what you're upgrading to. You got to kind of learn a little bit before you go out and buy that uh, SM7B, which can we just talk about a little <laughs> bit more? I will say, one, 
it requires a ton of gain, exactly. which, which is fine, but you need a, you need an audio interface that can power that. And then two, I will say, I will say it does look rad on camera as far as like the aesthetic of sure. it. And maybe that's just because we're so used to seeing it, which is possible. I recommend all you guys check out the video Steven did where he's uh, not talking smack, but just kind of letting you know that, hey, you, you don't have to have this to, to be legit. Right, exactly. and there and there are there are reasons why it is useful in in podcast situations because it is very uh, good at like rejecting everything, both room noise and like hand noise and movement. And so, like you see these guys, like they they'll literally like take the microphone with two hands and they're like shaking it around and stuff, and like you never hear any of that. Uh, that's because the SM7B is really constructed well. But if you're in a controlled environment or just your bedroom, you have the mic on an arm, like you don't really need all of that. Plus there's like dip switches on the back, which, you know, for me, I'm, I'm very like, I want to confuse people. Well, it confuses me too. Like I know what they do and like, (laughs) I I know exactly what they do, but I'll like, I'll put one down, which is the low cut and I'll talk for a while. Like, do I prefer this? Does this sound better? I'm not sure. You start doubting your own ear. Mm. I'm like, all right, let me put that one back. And I just don't want to like have to be finicky about any of that. Like I really just want to set up. And, and this microphone and what I have now, like I can literally just sit down, start recording. You know, I sat down 30 seconds before I came into the studio with you uh, because I just, I've, everything is set. You know, I don't need to worry about any dip switches or flipping anything. Like it's just all good to go. And that is one other tip I would say, you know, if you're starting a show, one of the biggest pain points is like the setup teardown aspect of doing a podcast or show. And so if you can dedicate a space, even if it's in your closet, like your bedroom closet which is a great place to record because there's lots of sound dampening material. All those clothes, it'll actually probably be the best sound treated room in your house if you don't have a dedicated studio or anything. Uh, but just, you know, set up a folding table or a little space with your microphone and you can have your laptop in there. And if it's something that you could just leave set up, so all you have to do is walk in and hit record and you know you're going to be good to go. And you're going to have minimal issues because it's the same setup every time. That actually goes a long way in reducing the friction to creating ongoing content. All good tips, all good advice. As we're rounding home here, uh, two final questions. One, is there any kind of something coming down the pipe with Riverside, some inside baseball you could tell us about? Any features or or is that off limits? <laughs> well, I will say, I'll say what I said at the podcast conference. You know, we are adding a lot of features uh, for our transcript editing. And so when you mm-hmm. jump into the Riverside editor right now, We have transcripts. They're powered by AI. You can do it in over 100 languages. You can edit your video content via the transcript, meaning you delete a word in the transcript or a sentence. It deletes it in the video and the audio when you export. And so one of our biggest requested features uh, was the ability to edit the transcript, which then edits the captions that go over the video. So if there's a typo, that's launching very soon. It might actually be live as this uh, podcast gets published. And so that feature is coming soon. And so a lot of those kinds of features that people have been asking for that maybe they have seen elsewhere and they're like, if we just get this one thing, then we can use Riverside for everything. Uh, all those features are coming is, is all I'll say about that. And we have a lot of cool features where it is going to make it easier uh, for more creators to create content with the devices they already have. And uh, so it's really exciting. I just stay tuned for the next few weeks. We're in September right now. And by the end of the month, it's going to be a very powerful platform uh, for everyone with all, I think, a lot of tools uh, for people. And our Magic Clips feature, which just came out, is really cool because it actually generates those vertical clips automatically from your video content. And uh, you don't even have to do anything. You can edit it, you know, a little bit more after they get generated, but it saves a ton of time. So highly recommend. Looking forward to uh, seeing what's coming down the pipe. 
Final question. I like to ask everybody, uh, shout out a podcast you think people should check out. Doesn't matter, genre, uh, something that you think that you're listening to. Oh, man, let's see. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a nerd, and so I got a bunch of techie podcasts that I listen to. Uh, I will say I do really enjoy the Smartless podcast. Um, you, you know, I love movies. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I like it too. Don't get me wrong. I like it. I just feel like <laughs> they're always talking over each other. And they, they it's do. cool because the, the, inter- the people they interview is, is, is awesome. People that most of us will never have the chance to, to come into contact with. But uh, it's just funny how like they blew up and it got so huge. But I feel like they don't bring a whole lot to the table. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I, you know, I listen, I listen for entertainment, you know, I I don't, I don't think of it as like, I'm going to learn about this actor, although many times I do. Yeah. And there's been some interviews that were just really fun, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know what it is. I I do enjoy it. I don't listen to really any other celebrity based podcast. Like it's really the only one, uh, one I will say that people probably haven't heard of, but I do love this one is called Omnibus. This is Omnibus. It's actually with Ken Jennings. He was the uh, longest Jeopardy a streak winner. He won like 74 shows in a row. And uh, it's with him and John Roderick. He's like a Seattle-based musician. But basically the show, they take like an obscure uh, thing in history and they talk about it and they explain it, kind of talk through like how it came to be, what it's about. And like the other uh, recent episode I listened to was the the Doomsday Clock, which I had always heard about. You know, the, the people talk about the Doomsday Clock and how it's so many minutes to midnight. And I didn't really know what it was about or where it came from. And so it's they're very entertaining and funny. Uh, but I also learned about the uh, you learn about stuff. So it's kind of fun. I recommend. Cool, man. Yeah, I'll link to that. That actually does look uh, interesting to me as well. But uh, Stephen, thank you for coming on the show. Shout out uh, whatever you've got going on, where people can find you, et cetera. Sure. You know, people can go to beard.fm. Uh, that's my website. Uh, you can just find links to everything, my videos and all of that. And of course, check out riverside.fm. Videos are on the YouTube channel there, youtube.com slash riversidefm. And on my own YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at beardfm. <laughs> you can find it all there. And hopefully you find something, you can learn things. If you have any questions about like podcast stuff in general, just use a little search magnifying glass on the Riverside channel and we probably have a video about it. Like I've done so many videos about all the things from like audio and EQ and video and how to use video switchers. So there's so much content there. I recommend you check it out. Perfect. Well, Steven, thank you for coming on the show, man. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me.